I'm Michael Woods, and this is the ATC Double Cut, where I talk about some of the turfgrass topics on the ATC blog, and I often do a monologue just talking um, by myself, talking uh, with myself and talking with you, but today I am pleased to have a very special guest joining me. It is Jason Haynes, joining from Canada, the golf course superintendent at Sunshine Coast Golf and Country Club. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thanks for having me, Micah. Well, we have been in conversation about turfgrass topics for about a decade now, I think. I, I disremember exactly when we first started talking, but uh, it would be ab about 10 years ago, I think, and I I know you were one of the very early adopters. I mean, I, I can time this by MLSN because I know MLSN was introduced 10 years ago and you were yeah. one of the very early adopters of that. And so I suppose it's somewhere in that time frame when we first started communicating. Yeah, I think I first joined Twitter in 2011 and then came across the MLSN uh, and, and then started using it the day the day that I learned about it essentially so that was about <laughs> 10 years ago and then you've also done um, not not just used it but you've uh, really done detailed uh, application of it and thought and almost like experiments on your golf course with things like MLSN and clipping volume and the post that I want to talk about today at least to start our conversation conversation is about something that you came up with yourself and you called it the turfgrass speedo initially and then you've also called it the turfgrass growth ratio and i've written a blog post about that um, which i will put a direct link to in the show description um, that i called or the title of that is looking at the clipping volume growth ratio now can you tell me how you how you came up with that what uh, uh well i came up with it while i was making a presentation to speak in copenhagen and you know when you talk about clipping volume a lot of people kind of want to ask what is the right number and the problem is is that it depends on the time of the year uh because uh the right clipping volume in in July is different than the right clipping volume in December, uh, especially in my location, uh, you know, midsummer versus the beginning of winter. So there is no right answer, but there is a right answer or a, a more correct answer depending on the time of the year. So you needed, I needed to have find a way to uh, compare my actual clipping yield to what the ideal yield should be. For the given time of year and so it occurred to you to take the temperature-based growth potential from pace turf and use that to adjust the ideal clipping volume for the time of year and then you just express it as a ratio where you take in the numerator you take the actual growth which you can measure by clipping volume and then in the denominator you've got a temperature adjusted or a seasonally adjusted or in this case maybe a daily daily weather condition adjusted ideal and we'll put that ideal in quotes 
uh, for your site. And you, I think you speculated that that may work. And then it turned out that it worked even better than you expected, if I understand correctly. And I know you did a blog post about that, where you said the, the Turfgrass Speedo works even better than you than you thought it might. Yeah, I mean, like any tool, when you first get it, you don't really know how to use it. And, and even I mean, last week, I was learning on new ways how to use it. So it, but it, it kind of it revolutionized kind of the way I fertilize or and grow the grass um, because I've always been trying to. I've, I've made lots of observations over the years of, um, you know, grass that is growing at the right speed is good. Um, it's less prone to disease. Um, it tolerates traffic, and it, uh, it you know you don't need to mow it like four times a day uh, to get good green speeds. So trying to hit that target has always been a, uh, a goal of mine, um, going back yeah, over 10 years. Um, and then, yeah, this tool is the, the first thing I've found that actually allows me to, to manage growth in that way. And yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it kind of came from how you first started using the growth potential to calculate fertilizer applications, right? Um, where you would take like, and, and I've talked with Larry Stoll about uh, all over the world and, and you uh, at conferences about this, like you take the maximum amount of fertilizer you would apply in a month and you multiply the growth potential for that month by that amount. And that's how much you should put out that month. But the problem I found with that is that it doesn't actually take actual growing conditions into, a, um, into consideration, right? That, that, that's still a lot better. That's a good way of coming up with like a, a rough idea of how much fertilizer you should apply each month. But, but sometimes you get like, you know, crazy mineralization and you don't need any fertilizer, <laughs> you know? Um, so, so you don't apply it because you're, you're getting the growth from some other source. And, uh, but sometimes you need, uh, sometimes you need to push that growth. Sometimes you need higher than the, the, the growth ratio. And you and you kind of mentioned the ideal. It's it's not really the ideal. I think it's more of and, and you've kind of used this term, but the standard amount. Mm -hmm. I would say that the growth ratio compares your actual yield to the standard amount that you should have based on the weather. And uh, and I've played around with that over the years, and I've come to the conclusion that standard amount with a growth potential of 100%. So perfect growing conditions is 20 milliliters per square meter per day. Um, and that, um, it, it, it doesn't really, I mean, you can adjust that standard amount, but it's more I don't. I don't recommend it. I, I, yeah. I don't recommend it and I will explain why, but go go ahead. Uh, it, it, and, and, I mean, and, and it, I, this is something I've learned from you um, with other things, but it's a standard amount. It doesn't, it's not a target, but it's, you're comparing what you are to that standard. Um, I would say, I mean, sometimes I go above the standard amount um, for the weather. Like this spring, we had a very unseasonably cool and wet spring. We still had hundreds of golfers every day and I needed growth. Um, so I was growing it much faster than the standard amount. Right now, I am growing it much slower than the standard amount because um, you kind of trying to get the grass to harden off for the winter. And I 
just like a, a, a lower growth rate if I can get it. So that's what we're doing. So, yeah. N nice. So uh, it, the reason why I don't, I recommend not changing it is if you change the denominator to be site specific, the numerator, the numerator is, well, the numerator and the denominator are, are already site specific because you're in the numerator of this ratio, you're using the actual clipping volume, how much the grass is actually growing. And the denominator is already site specific because it is being adjusted by the temperatures that are actually occurring at your site. And the reason why I don't recommend changing what we would call the standard level is it then makes it impossible to compare uh, locations. So I think, for example, if we took the bent grass greens at Los Angeles Country Club, for example, and let's say that they were just absolutely perfect at a certain time of year, and everybody saw them on television. You know, I think the US Open is coming up there in a year or two, and, and we may see them on television, and they'll be absolutely perfect. And people may wonder, well, what was the growth ratio on those greens if they've adjusted the standard amount and let's say that they're using their standard amount would be five milliliters per square meter per day all of a sudden you can't compare the growth ratio so because you came up with the growth ratio and you picked the number of 20 as the standard i say that the actual ratio itself doesn't matter whether the ratio is 0 0.6 0 0.7 0 0.8 whatever it comes out to be that doesn't really matter, but it it's comparable from location to location, so long as that standard value in the denominator remains the same. Now, Jason, I realize we're talking here about numerators, denominators, clipping volume, growth potential. Uh, this could be a bit abstract for <laughs> for many people, right? <laughs> Obviously, right? Uh, how how is it? What's it e? But you, you're telling me that uh, you find this really useful. And I understand that it it answers a question that everybody has. People ask me this question. They ask you that question. They, they pose this question rhetorically. Um, how do I find the optimum growth for my site? And people ask this question a lot. They ask it over on the Discord server. So I know a lot of people around the world have this question. And we've we kind of have this answer for it, but I'm going to admit it's not intuitive at first. Uh, it's not, um, you know, for somebody who hasn't been doing this, it's not intuitive. It's maybe not, uh, not easy to grasp uh, how you might ease into this and make use of it. Do you uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, the, I see, I see the role of turf manager, especially, especially where the economics are marginal, where there's not a lot of room for error. Um, I, I see the role of a turf grass manager kind of requiring a higher level of math. Now, when I say higher level, I mean, this is grade nine math. Um, but if you don't use the math that you learned in grade nine, uh, continuously, you forget it. I mean, I, I took calculus in grade 12. I couldn't do a lick of calculus today because I haven't had to use any of it. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I learned a little bit of computer programming and, and so this is all automated. I actually, this whole system here requires 
uh, for me, zero effort. I show up in the morning and I look at my chart and <laughs> it tells me what I need to do. Uh, or it doesn't tell me what I need to do, but it gives me enough information so I can make a better decision. Like, do I need to put fertilizer in the tank today or, or not? Or do I need to put PGR in the tank today or not? Or do I need to cut greens even today um, uh, or not? So, um, yeah, it, I mean, it is abstract. Um, I, you know, I think about this a lot, like how can, how can more people do this? And, and I've, I've released a few spreadsheets over the years um, for people to copy. Um, and that's, there's my link to my blog. Yeah, so I put the link to Jason's blog up. So if you're if you're listening to this and not watching it, you can uh, pop over to YouTube and and watch this, or uh, you can just look in the description or show notes, and I will put a direct link to Jason's blog, which is Fuseriyami, Fuseriyami dot blogspot dot com. Right, that. Yep. Uh, F-U-S-A-R-I-U-M-M-Y.blogspot.com. So probably to make sure you get the spelling of that uh, very intriguingly named uh, and perhaps aptly <laughs> named blog, um, you may just check the show notes and, and click on the link there. But do you still have that spreadsheet available for download? Yeah, it's still on there. Um, I've, I've thought of ways to make it a little bit more user friendly. Um, and, and I'll probably, if I ever get more than five minutes uh, to, to think about grass, uh, I'll, I'll put one together um, that people can use. Um, because it's, it's pretty basic um, in the realm of like computer programming or spreadsheets. But, but I mean, I realize not a lot of people have have those skills because they are pretty, pretty bizarre. Um, and I mean, mm -hmm. I've invested thousands of hours probably learning coding and spreadsheets and I, and I'm horrible at it still, but good enough. Yeah. To but, make yeah that's it's the same with me, uh, by brute force, uh, and a lot of hours and a lot of trial and error, I am able to learn and make progress, um, with, with the type of data analysis and research and, and so on that I do. So I certainly uh, appreciate all the insight that you have um, about this and, and being so willing to share it. So if anybody hasn't checked out Jason's blog, uh, it was offline for a little while, but he brought it back up at that address. And I would encourage people to check it out because it's still got all those classic posts about his uh, thoughts an insight into greenkeeping. Um, let me show a chart, Jason, that I put in this blog post. You you suggested now. So we're going back to my blog post, the one that is ostensibly the reason for our talk today, <laughs> or the the uh, the the post that we're giving the double cut treatment. Actually, I just wanted an excuse to have a chat with Jason, and I thought this would be a great topic to talk about. Um, so the post looking at the clipping volume growth ratio, and this is something where I said, uh, let me look at how this works at other places, because Jason had shared how it works at his location. And he had suggested that you can adjust nitrogen and PGR applications through the season to keep this ratio close to one. And he said that had been a great way to keep 
healthy grass and good playability. He can also favor bank grass over Poa annua by keeping that ratio a bit below one. And he had written that he could favor Poa annua over bent grass by keeping the ratio above one. So if the ratio is above one, the grass is growing uh, faster than you might expect. And if the ratio is less than one, the grass would be growing a little bit slower than one would expect. So I looked this up for a completely different grass type. I looked it up for um, a golf club in Japan, which has zoysia greens or cori greens, manila grass. And I noticed in the springtime, the number was all over the place and really high. But then during the summer, during the active growing season, it hovered right around one. And I have another chart where I just kind of zoomed in on the summer. And that that chart is showing on the screen now. And it goes from June the 1st to November the 1st of 2021. This is a post that I did last year. And basically that number is just hovering around one. And then they have the KBC Augusta tournament at the very end of August. And what you can see is the the growth ratio and i'm showing here the seven day moving average of growth ratio that was right about one on about august the 20th and then it went all the way down to less than 0.5 for the end of the tournament it was progressively getting lower and lower going through the end of the tournament at uh, on september 1st last year so it seems to me that that matches pretty well with what we would expect that something around one would be normal and that's kind of what it was at through the summer and then for tournament conditions it was considerably less than one so i think jason you you've been doing this now for four three or four years haven't you yeah i've been using this tool to various or various different ways uh for uh, yeah, about three or four, eh, let's say four years. I think I, I came up with the idea right before I switched jobs and that was in 2018, the fall of 2018. So yeah, four years. Um, it, it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned last, last week when you had a talk with Bjarni, uh, about how you find it's interesting that all these different courses in different climates have very similar clipping volumes. And, uh, I mean, this kind of also shows a very similar, I mean that 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 curve could be my golf course, um, mm -hmm. grown at you know fifty degrees latitude uh, on the west coast of North America, um, and uh, I I mean I'm a I'm a little bit blown away about the the similarities there, um, yeah it's it's uh, it's pretty interesting. And you yeah, also mentioned what, I, oh go ahead. Uh, I would just yeah I think. Um, Going back to what I was talking with Bjarni um, um, last week, uh, where I was surprised when we did that original research back in 2015 or so at how, how much the grass grew in Iceland and how it was similar to other places around the world. And, and good performing putting greens with many grasses tend to have a similar growth rate. Uh, the one exception, the, the reason I interrupted there, um, I'll just say that Bermuda grass, uh, Cynodon, on putting greens does tend to have lower clipping volume from what I've seen. So, 
good performing Bermuda grass, e even though we think of Bermuda grass as having a rapid growth rate, um, for some reason, when people are collecting clippings from those, I often see the clippings on Bermuda grass is, uh, it, it's considerably less. Now, I would like to have some more data on that. Um, but uh, anyway, well, for now, it, it seems to me that it, if this was Bermuda grass, you maybe would expect a lower number. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be heavily uh, regulated. And I think, I mean, a big part of why I try to hit the right growth weight is our chemical arsenal in Canada isn't very good. And, and you know, my years of kind of at, at my previous golf course, Pender Harbor, I mean, I kind of took it upon myself to try to reduce that chemical use just because we were really poor. Um, but also with the uh, tightening regulations and loss of certain chemistries, it seems like every year now, um, I was trying to to reduce that chemical use. And, and, and I think in countries where you have a bigger amount or broader range of chemicals, you can you can kind of maintain your growth rate at the unhealthy range, uh, what would normally be unhealthy, but keep it healthy with, with the use of those products. So, I mean, I see, and, and you know, you, you kind of mentioned how I, I played around with, with uh, the growth ratio. Um, so I, like, I know what too low is and I, and like for POA annua, anything below 0.5 is, is you're, you're going to have, you, like, you can't, you cannot manage the anthracnose below 0.5. Um, right Could now you I, manage I, it. Could you manage it with fungicides though? Uh, I've tried it, 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 um, I mean, I've tried with our limited use. I mean, maybe if you're going out with chlorothalonil every five days, but, but we, that's just not an option for us. Um, it, we couldn't do it. I mean, my, my fungicide budget for the year for a hectare of greens right now is about, I spent $6,000, um, and we're in a pretty disease heavy part of the world, especially in the winter time. But, uh, so I've, I've grown the grass too slow and really bad anthracnose and I see it everywhere I go. You can kind of tell, um, if, if the grass is starving, you're going to have anthracnose. Uh, you're also going to probably have dollar spot. And, uh, it's, it's, I was thinking about it today. Actually, I haven't seen any dollar spot in four years. Um, Wow. Coincidentally, I don't know. Um, none. Like we have anywhere on the whole property. Uh, and at before at Pender Harbor, we would get smoked with, with dollar spot. Um, wow. And they still do. And like I'm only 30 kilometers away. Um, wow, you are lucky. <laughs> and like I've, I've dealt with dollar spot in my climate. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I, I mean, like I see a lot of research, turf research, disease research. And my, my question always is always, what was the weather like for those observations and how fast were they growing the grass? Um, you know, uh, <laughs> so I mean, without that, I mean, there's, there's so much that there's only so much you can take from that information. I think, cause from what I've seen, the turf health has so much to do with having the right growth rate for the right time of the year. Yes. My, my very short book, the short grammar of greenkeeping, which I will put a link to also in the show notes. In that book, 
in I think in the introduction to it, I mentioned that uh, if you really want to define greenkeeping or turf management for any surface in one sentence, you could say that it's managing the growth rate of the grass because almost everything that you do is is done to adjust the growth rate of the grass or it's done in response to the growth rate of the grass and it's it's something that seems obvious in mm, in retrospect or it seems obvious the older i get the more experience i get with managing turf grass and studying turf grass around the world and uh, i don't know why it took me until i was 30 some years old to figure that out yeah i mean it's hindsight right it uh every time i I improve or get better at what I do. I look back at what I was doing and I think to myself, man, I was such an idiot. <laughs> but it's easy to say that with today's knowledge, right? Um, yeah, like what that, I was doing was so bad. Um, and I mean, yeah, you have lots of blog posts about that. Yeah, it's well, I, that is something that I wanted to ask you also. With, with things like MLSN, once you start doing it, you realize like, wow, this is really simple wow this works really good wow the logic of this is is almost perfect and uh and it's like how did i not think of this before right it, 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 exactly. and it's weird it, and it's weird things like clipping volume how how many hundreds or thousands of times did i mow grass and just throw away the clippings without noting how much the grass was growing without realizing how valuable that could be. How many times did I spread sand top dressing without measuring the organic matter in the soil, not even knowing what I was trying to adjust? Because if I would tell my general manager or tell the golf course owner, the reason why I'm going to go core these greens, the reason why I am going to spread, cover the greens in sand, and they're going to be less than ideal for a week or 10 days or two weeks, uh, the reason is to manage organic matter at the surface, but I was doing that without ever measuring it. Uh, and, and I look at that and I'm like, how did I not realize that you could just simply measure this and then it would be a lot uh, more accurate. So that's, that's the OM246 that I, I think is really useful for assessing what the effect of the organic matter management practices are. It's like, um, you know, if you need to do more organic matter management, OM246 testing will tell you. And if you can get away with a little bit less, which is going to lead to improved uh, number of days, more days in the year with good putting conditions, OM246 can tell you that also. So I, I don't know, what do you think it is um, that makes us stumble on these things that are so or allows us to stumble on these things that are so obvious in retrospect. We, we need a philosopher on here to, to uh, explain that. Probably, and I've never taken any formal philosophy court, uh, you know, education to kind of to know that. But, but I mean, it's something that I realize, and I mean, it's, it's just baby steps. And uh, I mean, it's just the continual progress, uh, you know, and I mean, I don't know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, as soon as I know it all, I'll be the day I die, probably. <laughs> well, that's the smartest I'll be, anyways. Um, 
And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah we but, just I have mean, to so, keep learning. Yeah. yeah, you you mentioned also in your book, which is I, I mean one of my favorite books in the turf industry. Um, you mentioned about like the most sustainable grass, and you kind of define that, and that's the grass that has the highest growth rate with the lowest amount of inputs. And the interesting thing, and, and, and you already kind of brought it up about promoting bent grass or promoting POA with the different uh, growth ratio. Um, but this is kind of self-adjusting for that. So for in my case, I have predominantly POA greens, but we are transitioning them to bent grass for reasons of disease mostly, disease and uh, climate just uh, having something that can handle hard winters and hard summers a bit better uh, than POA. And with our lack of chemicals, it's more difficult to keep that um, POA in good condition. So anyways, the more bent grass you have, and, and a bent grass uh, will have a higher growth rate for a given amount of nitrogen. Um, so in the more your bent climate. Grass you have, in, yeah. your, in your climate, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it we don't ever get too hot for bent grass, um, not even close. Um, so, I mean, if you're in a transition zone, yeah, your growth potential is going to be dropping off for bent grass pretty, pretty steep in the summertime. But anyways, for us, it's, uh, it's POA versus bent grass. And, and, and in my climate, it's kind of seen as impossible to grow bent grass. Um, it's impossible to fight POA. I mean, every year we're seeing like, you know, pretty big double digit percentage gains in our, our greens. Now we overseed because it has to be a fair fight here. Um, <laughs> if you don't mm -hmm. add seed, um, the POA is adding seed, but back to the sustainability part is the bent grass has a higher growth rate for a given amount of nitrogen than POA. Um, so the more bent grass you have, the higher your growth rate is going to be and the less nitrogen you need to apply to hit those growth ratio uh, targets. So it, it kind of self-adjusts, like uh, the greens that I have right now that are predominantly bent grass, and by predominantly, I mean probably 60% or more, um, they have much higher growth rates. Um, and it's with the new varieties, which we use the, the 007 or the Dominic Extreme 7 blend, um, it, the new varieties outperform POA every single, all seasons, all four seasons. It's first out of the gate in the spring. It, loves the heat in the summer and it doesn't really mind the dark winters either um uh, that's from from what i've seen in the way i'm i'm growing it so i will say though i think it's not as simple as just below one will promote bent grass i think at a certain point no grass is competitive <laughs> mm -hmm. and i don't know what that number is i haven't i haven't had my grass growing so slow that bent grass isn't competitive but i've seen it on some courses where the strategy is to starve out the POA um, and in the process you also starve out the bent grass. So I think, in my opinion, you still want to keep that growth ratio even if you have bent grass is above 0.5. Um, and, and that's something that um, I thought initially that we can just do that with clipping volume and I didn't have the insight that you did to come up with this turf grass speedo with the turf grass growth ratio. And in fact, when you first proposed it, I'm like, why would we do that? You know, it, it, it took me a while, even though I'm, I'm quite familiar with these <laughs> topics, but it even took me a little while to figure out that, that really good insight into 
a way to just adjust what the clipping volume should be for your site at as a standard at any time of the year at any type of any type of of growing conditions because i've written blog posts before i i will put a link to this one also uh the the blog post that i'm going to describe i won't show it but i will put a link to it in the description about how i i think i called it it is easy to know when the grass grows too slow i think that was the title of the blog post and it's about uh, it's an argument for clipping volume. It's an argument for using clipping volume because I, I mentioned that when the grass grows too slow, we will have certain disease indicators and uh, eventually we have bare ground. We don't have grass, but we will have ball marks that don't uh, repair fast enough. We will have moss and algae invading. We will have traffic damage and uh, foot marks and scuffs and so on that the grass doesn't recover fast enough from. And, and that is intolerable. It's unacceptable for professionally managed turf. So, and there's really no tools to deal with that. If you've got the grass growing too slow, I mean, the tool is more nitrogen and more water, um, but you don't really want to risk the grass growing too slow because the, the, uh, the worst case scenario is tragic. It's, it's dead grass. And because of that, I think the entire turf grass industry around the world, anybody that's a professional turf grass manager grows the grass a little bit too fast. And it, and by too fast, uh, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean it in a, let's just be honest with what we're doing. We're growing the grass so fast that, that, we don't have to worry about dead grass and bare ground, right? Because if you push it too low, you get all these nasty problems that uh, are difficult to recover from. And I was making an argument for clipping volume saying clipping volume allows us to measure how much the grass is growing so that we can tell relatively if we're closer to that low level where the grass is growing too slow and it might be at risk of dying <laughs> and, or we might be at risk of bare ground at some point or whether we're growing the grass two or three times faster than that level at which we can cut it back uh cut back the growth rate a little bit you know reduce nitrogen increase growth regulator reduce irrigation or, or so on um and the problem with that though if we just look only at the clipping volume number is it doesn't adjust for our geographic location and our time of year and or, so, or the mowing frequency like or the mow you know. that's that's correct that's correct because if you're mowing four times a week versus mowing uh a double cut every day you're you know you you need to adjust that and normalize it somehow and what the growth ratio does is normalizes it and and it adjusts it for, you know, whether you're in Copenhagen right now or whether you are in San Diego right now. The those are different temperatures, and you might have the same types of grass. You could be growing bank creeping bank grass in Denmark. You could be growing keep creeping bank grass in San Diego. But in late September, when we're recording this episode, uh, I would expect that San Diego may have some different light conditions and some different temperature conditions than you would in Denmark. 
or in British Columbia. And, and different traffic conditions as well. Um, so Right. And yeah. so you can, and you mentioned the self-correcting aspect of this, where I think uh, it's, it's like when you go back to the growth potential in nitrogen, it's self-correcting because people say, what should, buy, what, what should I use to link uh, nitrogen and growth potential in terms of my maximum nitrogen amount? And I say, well, uh, the standard might be two grams per square meter per month or three grams per square meter per month as a maximum that you would multiply by the temperature-based growth potential. That's for looking into the future and just try it. Just try it at that standard rate and then you observe if the grass grows too fast or too slow and then you adjust it until you get it right. So you very quickly, I would say within within a week or two, you you now find a site-specific maximum that works pretty good and you just keep tweaking it until you get something that just works well for your site and the amount of traffic that you're that you're seeing on your on your site and i'll go back to something you mentioned earlier where you said the the growth potential um and the nitrogen link it's like it's not perfect right and and you can't really manage grass that way and i agree i i think that I would describe that as if we if we want to guarantee that we'll have mediocre conditions at least, we can do it that way. But to really have exceptional conditions, we need to modify it. And the reason is because the weather changes and uh, the amount of traffic changes and the grass responds in ways that we may not be able to predict. And so we need to adjust it. And that's why I use the growth potential as a future prediction looking into the future that's what i use but then i actually monitor what happens based on the clipping volume based on the turf grass growth ratio and then i quickly transition from uh, a future based uh, nitrogen input or mowing frequency input or uh, plant growth regulator input to being reactive to what's happened over the past days and weeks. And I also, I think it's much better to be reactive to the grass rather than being proactive. So we, at some point we have to be a little bit proactive, but then if you measure what the grass is doing, how the grass is responding to the inputs, you quickly transition to just being reactive to the grass and it allows you to have exceptional uh, conditions with without doing any work that's unnecessary or at least that's the goal and i mean i'm i think i'm getting closer and closer to that every year i mean i remember before i was doing managing growth this way um or before growth potential was a thing that i knew about I remember just having absolutely uncontrolled growth uh it would usually happen in august it was kind of just like something i would expect is get ready for the August growth flush. Um, but it was because I was kind of like front loading nitrogen and I wasn't really, I didn't really have a target or, or a, a, a idea of where I was. And then you get a little bit of, you know, longer nights in August and some, uh, a little bit of rain, except for this year. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're, I mean, you're getting like 40 to 60 milliliters per square meter per day. Um, and you got to double cut the greens just to keep anything 
resembling good conditions. Um, and, or, or you would, you would have that and then you would back off on the fertilizer and then all of a sudden you just, it just falls off a cliff and then all of a sudden you're not growing it fast enough. And so you're kind of chasing your tail a little bit. Um, but you know, so I, I, I mean, I do the light and frequent kind of thing. And, and if, if it's in the summertime, I, I throw a bag of fertilizer in and, um, it's kind of funny. I don't like to measure fertilizer. Um, I measure it by the bag. So if I want to put out a gram of uh, nitrogen on my greens, I put out one bag of urea, which is about yep. 25 kilograms over 1.2 hectares is, is a gram of nitrogen. If I want to mm -hmm. put out a half a gram, well, bag of 2100. And if I want to put out less than that, like even uh, less than half a gram, 0. 0.3 or whatever, I put a bag of calcium nitrate and, and, uh, or, or varying combinations, but to, to mix half a bag or, I, I did that before, you know, just to see what would happen to go super precise with your fertilizer applications. But I kind of feel like, I don't know what the analogy is, but I'm kind of steering a ship kind of with small adjustments. And uh, if you're going a bit to the right, you don't just go hard left. I mean, it's like a kid driving a car. If you've seen a kid driving like a video game, they're like back and forth. And it's kind of like, oh, is the growth ratio low? Do I want it to be higher? Okay, we'll put some fertilizer in the tank. Is it high? Okay, we'll put less fertilizer in the tank and uh, and or stretch the intervals slightly. Did you see those? Did you see those videos that Andrew McDaniel demonstrated, just dumping a bag of fertilizer and dissolving urea? And he does it. He does it the exact same way, where he doesn't like measuring it either. So he knows that one bag gives him about half a gram for the flow rate that he's got on his sprayer and um so he just does it that way and he just puts out a half gram yeah it and he, works pretty good and i mean i mean you also kind of i mean and and i had a discussion with this with a another a local greenskeeper last week and they were kind of blown away but you can do that you're not going to kill the greens <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's a really small amount of fertilizer when spread over that much area. It'll kill the greens if you like park the sprayer with the booms on, not move mm -hmm. for like a minute. <laughs> That'll kill the grass. But I mean, if you're yeah, moving. I it's it's interesting. I I think the people that we the turf grass industry is very big, and sometimes we talk with. Um, we, we can't have, it's difficult to survey the entire turf industry and obviously you know I work in a lot of different countries so when I say turf industry I, I mean globally and it's different country by country but if you saw the ATC double cut where I talked with Frank Rossi and we mentioned urea and I said that that there's a lot of people that don't realize that you can just apply urea and get the same results as you would get with any other nitrogen fertilizer. And Frank's like, uh, he said something like, it really astounds him uh, to hear that I think that because he thinks that every turf grass manager knows that you can do that. But my experience from people that communicate with me or um, give me feedback about what I'm talking about and, and knowing my background, I had a four-year degree and had done internships at a lot of golf courses, and it never occurred to me that I could, when, when, and then when I became a golf course superintendent, and I was working at a, 
high budget course that suddenly ran out of budget, it it had never occurred to me until Ed Etchells told me that one could just melt down urea and spray it on the greens and get great results. And I've I've told that story before about how how I figured or how I learned about that and and I haven't really ever gone back because it gives me complete control over exactly I'm I'm I like to weigh it out. So um I you know I I can measure the exact amount that I want to apply. And the result's right. great. But I, I don't know when Frank said that, I was like, really? You think everybody knows that? Because if everybody knew that, why aren't they doing it? Because it's so easy. And and it frees up so much money that you can spend for more expensive top dressing sand or for another dryject application or give your crew a raise or or have another uh, team building uh, party. or I mean, there's so much better use of funds if if you're able to free up funds in one area and and then spend them on something that's going to give you even more value. So I, I mean, don't know. It's, it's easier than using liquid fertilizer that's already in a liquid form. Um, like it's, it, it's, it stores better. <laughs> I mean, it, you can't, doesn't matter if it freezes. Um, it, it, you just dump it in the tank and in the basket on the top and fill the tank up and like 30 seconds later, it's gone. Um, I I will have and, to share the links to those videos that that Andrew did where he shows how how fast it dissolves. I mean, and, and it's kind of funny. I mean, I I, I remember when I first did it uh, because I used to use liquid fertilizers and and uh, and and all that fancy stuff. And uh, and and I thought it was like this is crazy. I thought I was going to kill the grass. And then the more you do it. Um, uh, the the more comfortable you get with it, and I've never killed the lick of grass except for you know sprayer malfunctions. But it doesn't matter what you have in the tank if you have a ma- sprayer malfunction, like uh, you know you blow your transmission midway across the green and you don't realize it for a few seconds and your booms are running while you're not moving. Then yeah, you're gonna have some dead grass unless you water it out. So um, and uh, and like same with ammonium sulfate. Like I, I put a, a half a gram ammonium sulfate. And as a standard practice, I fertilize it on my 1.2 hectares, and I never water it in, ever. Um, I almost never water fertilizer in. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, like, the cost. This year, my fertilizer cost for greens. This is nutrients. Um, no other chemicals, just nutrient fertilizer. is $450. And is fertilizer Canadian? This Canadian. And fertilizer prices this year have doubled in my mm-hmm. area so yeah that is twice the price i would have paid last year my total golf course cost right now is just over four thousand dollars there's some problems on my golf course but they aren't fertilizer related they're mostly irrigation related um so i mean it's uh yeah i mean fertilizer is not really and, and like the actual rate the more i think about it it doesn't matter except for having a record of what you did. That's the only reason. All I want to know, and, and when it comes down to fertilizer and using this growth ratio is, I mean, why do we apply fertilizer, right? Like nitrogen specifically. It's to make the grass grow faster, right? Well, <laughs> if you want to make it grow faster, you kind of have to know how fast it's currently growing and you have to know how fast you want it to grow. 
right? These are like these three questions. So without any of those, you know, knowing any of those, all or all three of those, you're, yeah, I mean, you're basically flying blind. I mean, other than, you know, you can look um, from a 10,000 foot view, but if you want to kind of, uh, you know, have any amount of precision, you, you have to, you know, know what you want to grow it and, and know where it, what it's growing at. And, and then you just use the fertilizer. I mean, the rate doesn't matter. I just want it to go faster, throw some nitrogen on it. So yeah. Cause you're always process. using, you're always using low rates anyway. So it's just, you're talking about adjusting the rate within, uh, or you're, you're talking about applications, but always at a relatively low rate. So it's just, yeah. And I mean, it's more of a philosophical thing. I mean, some people are like, I need to apply exactly 0.65 grams of nitrogen and that's my rate. And I'm like, just go out and apply some fertilizer <laughs> and then mon and then see how what see what happens right Do, is it growing faster all right it worked is it growing too fast okay maybe uh that was too much um but i i rarely ever have a too much uh anymore anyways but, but right uh, so so you you put it out in small amounts and then you evaluate and eventually you're better able to predict how much uh is going to be the ideal amount at any time yeah and that that uh, brings up a question for me because you mentioned how much you're spending on greens, which was 450 Canadian up to this time of year. Yeah, 459, I think exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's a and how 1.2 hectares of greens. Yep. Which is uh, about three three American acres. Um, the, the greens are smaller, but that's what I spray when I fertilize the greens. So, mm -hmm. I got yeah. it. Yeah. So that, and we've been talking about growth ratio on greens and so on, and clipping volume on greens. Do you do anything on fairways to try to assess how much it's growing to to apply this level of precision? Um, I base it fairways. off of greens. I base it off of greens. Um, and it's, it turns out to be about 50% of greens. So I kind of look at what I've done on my greens. I also use my eyes and uh, it's a pain in the butt at my course. I have half of my course is sand capped and it requires double the amount of nitrogen or, or more, two to three times as much nitrogen to get acceptable turf quality as the original soil based. This original soil based, I think up until July, I had put a 10th of a pound or what is that half a gram or no? Yeah. Half a gram of nitrogen on, on half of my golf course fairways. And, and I was still getting like way too much clippings. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, it's basically, I just kind of use that because, uh, cause you have so much really variability. Yeah. Yeah, you've got variability in soil type and organic matter content and thus nitrogen mineralization and water storage, presumably across the fairway soils or, or plant available water. So that's all going to lead to differences in growth rate. But tell me how, tell me again, you, you, you look at, you're measuring on the greens and yep. then you, you assume that you're going to be proportional to that at about half the level. You said like, it's about half of that in fairways. Um, yeah, about half. Um, maybe a little bit more. Again, I, I now are you ba are you saying about nitrogen input? 
yeah is, is right is going to be about half on fairways but you do it proportional to the way the greens are growing because you're just yeah. saying you're assuming that the fairways are growing in the same temperature environment the same the same weather growing environment so and it's the same grass types so you're going to expect that they're going to be responding with the same curve that you're getting on the greens yeah and i also i use my eyes but i i also don't apply fertilizer evenly on my fairways i do like a general application but then i go out all the time and we just call it fertilizing and it's an area it's called high traffic rough and and shitty grass <laughs> and we, like with a boomless, I drive along my cart pass where the grass is not very good and I give it more. And and I do it often with a little hand spreader because uh, mm -hmm. I still have some old granular from before when I started at this course. Uh, I still have some old stock I've been working my way through. And I just go around and look for bad grass and that's not growing fast enough and I make it grow faster. And so there's not really... it's. In a way, it's more precise because it's site specific, but I don't really have a way of tracking how much I put out other than the total quantity. But some oh. areas get a little bit more, some get a little bit less, and some get a lot more. Like high traffic areas around tee boxes, like I'm, you can see the the traffic pattern. You just walk up, and but I'm not blank. I'm not. I don't blanket fertilize rough, but I There's... do fertilize rough a lot. But Wow, Very. Jason, it almost sounds like you're putting a little bit of art into the science of greenkeeping. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I've I've said many times that, uh, you know, people question whether uh, turfgrass management or greenkeeping is an art or a science. And uh, I think it's an art, but the science can be really, really useful to help you do the art better. And so you're you're telling me that you don't know how much nitrogen you're putting on the fairways because it's so site specific and you're just going out and looking at it you're looking at the grass so you've got a baseline amount and then you just go add some more as you need it and then you you know so it's but i think people that that know you who have met you or been to any of your seminars or read your blog posts and so on they would probably think of you as golf course superintendents go and as as fertilizer uh goes for golf course superintendents they would think that you're uh incredibly scientific about it I except we're just having this conversation and um you're you're using science as a base and then you go apply the art so i think that's perfect well yeah it, yeah i mean you kind of have to because if i fertilized all my rough i couldn't keep up with the mowing because not all of it needs to be grow faster um so i mean it's uh yeah, it's it. I've kind of, you know, like when you look at GPS sprayers, for example, for use of fertilizer. And, and one of the things I noticed when I started using liquid fertilizer on fairways was my rough started to decline because I was applying it so precisely to only my fairways. Where when we used to do a granular, some of it trickles off into the rough, right? <laughs> so, and, and then the rough started to, to decline uh, the first few years because it's so precise. And then with a GPS sprayer, I get the preciseness for chemical use, for fungicides and stuff, but for fertilizer, you kind of want it a little less precise. Um, I mean, on greens, pretty precise. We don't want to overlap, you know, uh, we don't want any streaking or striping, obviously, same thing on fairways, but but you kind of, to, to get more precision, to get more uniform growth, you kind of have to 
apply fertilizer in a kind of ununiform way. Um, and, and yeah, I kind of, because fairways are so big and so variable, so variable um, compared to greens, which we can micromanage, I have to, yeah, to get the growth rates I want, I have to basically just wing it. Um, and it's pretty easy. It doesn't take that much work. And uh, it's really easy just to have a pail of fertilizer and a little spreader in your golf cart. And as you drive around, you see some bad grass, just give it some fertilizer. So that's what we do. That's awesome. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. that. That's that's very good. And yeah, I like I like the idea of of just generally basing what you're doing on fairways um, on how the greens are growing because the greens uh, are measured and to to a high degree of precision, and so you know exactly what's happening on greens, and it must be that the fairways are responding in a similar way. All right, Jason. Well, thank you. I I am really interested to hear what people think about this. I, I think we've talked for long enough. Yep. And I just wonder if people think that this is absolutely out there and irrelevant um, and almost unapproachable. Um, or if people think like, oh, that's intriguing. Yeah, I can easily do that. Because um, I, I know, and you know that this is something that's easy to implement. Um, you just put the numbers in a spreadsheet. It takes very little time to measure the clipping volume. Everybody is paying close attention to the weather and has their their weather data, whether that's from an on-site weather station or from some other excellent surface, uh, service that provides weather data for a location. Um, so everybody's got that so they can easily get the growth potential and it's easy to do this kind of stuff but i i think for a lot of people around the world they're like how would i even get started so it it may be that people watch this or listen to this and say that that was crazy that's not the way that i could ever do greenkeeping but i have an idea that uh 10 years from now 20 years from now this may be a, a pretty standard way for people to think about how they're managing grass um so I thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I really have uh, liked watching these uh, double cuts that you've been doing, and uh, with all the different guests, especially. And uh, yeah, do, you, do you do you prefer guests or monologues? Uh, depends. I mean, uh, I, I actually know I really liked the one where you had Joe on, where you talked uh, about some of your least viewed um, posts. That was good, especially with Joe, because he's quite more well-cultured than some of us greenskeepers. So uh, I think that was especially good, especially for that one. And Because, um, I mean, I, I don't think I read those posts either. So <laughs> Right. It's funny. I, you know, I, I've written hundreds, well, thousands of blog posts. Um, I, I think the ones that are live on my site right now, they're maybe 600 or something. And you have to go find my old site to find some of the other ones. And um, I, I gradually add them and, and I keep writing new ones. I think I've written eight, eight new ones in the month of September already. Um, I was just counting yesterday thinking, should I do another blog post or maybe wait a little bit? <laughs> um, but I'm so interested in sharing this type of information and I'm passionate about turf grass and I'm continuously learning and I like to share what I'm, what I'm learning. 
and and what I think is interesting because I, I find turf grass around the world to be so interesting. Um, and yet there's some of those posts that just absolutely bomb. And it could be because I posted on a holiday weekend and people are busy. It could be that I posted at the wrong time of day and people just don't see it. Um, and it could be that the topics are just very uninteresting. But uh, I think it's going to be, if Joe will continue to join me, I think we can uh, have some regular segments because um, at the rate at which I post blog posts and, and have done over the past uh, 14 years or so, there naturally are a number of them that I am quite fond of, but that they have absolutely bombed and not very many people have seen them. So it's it's fun to talk with Joe and he can speculate about why that may be. And uh, and it just gives me an excuse to bring them up again. Well, I can, uh, I can totally relate about blog posts that bomb. I write about grass and math. <laughs> yeah, grass and grass and math. Uh, yes, I suppose some of the math ones probably uh, don't get read more than once. Three hot topics right there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jason. Well, thanks so much for joining me, and thanks to everybody for watching and for listening and and for your interest in in this type of topic. And I'll, I'll be interested with this uh, episode especially uh, if you want to send me some feedback. Uh, about this because I think the growth ratio is so useful and we tried to introduce it here with a bit of a casual conversation but I don't know that there's a lot of people out there actually doing it the same thing with OM246 which is uh, I am going to close this episode pretty soon but that's something also that I just think is incredibly useful and there's a lot of golf courses that have been doing this for more than five years and they're getting great results with it and then there's other places that haven't even tried it yet. And I'm like, what are you waiting for? You know, here's something that's pretty useful to evaluate if the sand you're applying combined with your, your growth rate is leading to a increase, decrease, or consistent level of soil organic matter. So yeah, may, I guess I'll be talking about OM246 on some upcoming episodes because it goes into the prime sampling season. For that all right jason thank you anything else you want to say before we sign off nope thanks for having me cool well thank you for joining and i will sign off and be back again soon with another new episode uh for atc from bangkok thailand i am michael woods <laughs>